It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Rich Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Well, with Georgia Child Care Programs reopening and welcoming back children and families, DECAL is joining the governor's office and the Georgia Department of Public Health in offering new COVID-19 guidance for Georgia child care facilities. Commissioner, as you know, we're committed to supporting early childhood learning during the COVID-19 pandemic, and we recognize the vital role that providers, including their teaching staff, play in the support of Georgia's children and families, especially during a public health crisis. Absolutely. And uh, just like all of us, there are many questions surrounding COVID-19, especially for child care, as they work so hard uh, to ensure that children and staff are safe. And so we are really pleased um, to work with the Department of Public Health and provide this type of guidance for them. It's It's an excellent document and has every scenario you could ever imagine. And I really think Child care is going to be very appreciative and be able to use this on a daily basis. Right. We've been working with DPH all along, along with the CDC and the governor's office. But this uh, really, this document is more laser focused on child care in Georgia and should really help clarify a lot of questions that have come up uh, over the past four or five months as we've been dealing with the pandemic. Joining us uh, today to talk about COVID-19 guidance for providers is Pam Stevens, Deputy Commissioner of Child Care Services here at DECAL, and Ebony Thomas, Epidemiologist with the Georgia Department of Public Health. Pam and Ebony, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Ebony, let's start with you. What role have you been playing at DPH in this public health crisis, and did it change what you were doing back before March? Um, So currently I am one of the team leads for our COVID-19 school and childcare team. I am also one of the leads for our COVID-19 health equity task force. And yes, COVID-19 has definitely changed what I was doing before March. So prior to COVID-19, I was the vaccine preventable disease epidemiologist and team lead with the state of Georgia. So primarily focusing on surveillance and outbreaks of measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, tetanus, polio, and pertussis. Got it. So big changes uh, after about the middle part of March, I guess. Yes, definitely big changes. Last week, we held a virtual town hall on COVID-19 for child care providers with Governor Brian Kemp and Dr. Kathleen Toomey, the commissioner of the Georgia Department of Public Health. Dr. Toomey had some nice things to say about the work Pam, Ebony, and their teams have been doing. Let's listen. I, I do want to point out, that, and uh, Commissioner Jacobs, and, and if you don't mind, is that um, I, I shout out both to your staff as well as to our epidemiology team who put together some very nice guidelines. I've gone through them and they really cover a lot of these issues that we talked about today. And I, I think when they're kind of cleaned up and ready, or fully reviewed, uh, I'm sure we can get them out to child care providers. I think this is a, will be a nice handbook for all of you to use to kind of refer to about what some of the issues are and how to best protect the children and their staff. 
So Pam, let's start there. How did your team come together with DPH to work on this new guidance for childcare providers? So um, we were really happy that DPH reached out to us. Uh, Ebony and her team had developed some guidance for K through 12 schools. And Ebony realized, you know, it doesn't start and end there with, uh, with K-12, that childcare needed some guidance as well, and that it was different. And that's what we really appreciated, that they understood that they could not just put out the same type of guidance for all children, that, that we're a unique population with unique needs. So they reached out to us and we started working together. And what we found was we could work from the original guidance they had given for K-12. And then we had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of information also that we had been giving to childcare And so we kind of merged it all together, refined it, and came up with this really comprehensive guidance for childcare because, you know, everyone is trying so hard to do everything they can to keep families and children and staff healthy. And I think this is going to make it much easier. Now, this is about a 27-page document covering everything from drop-off and arrival to food preparation and meals and checking water and ventilation systems after your program has been closed for a prolonged period of time. Uh, You point out in the guidance that this is designed for families, childcare facilities, and healthcare providers. How so? Yes. So this document is definitely developed with the family, childcare facilities, and healthcare providers in mind. This is going to be a great tool that families can use and refer to to see what child care facilities should be doing um, and what guidelines are in place to not only protect their children, but also to protect the family and the community at large. Um, the guidance is also a great tool for healthcare providers to see what recommendations and what guidance is in place um, for children that they are serving. It also will provide healthcare providers with information about what recommendations to make if they do identify a COVID-19 case and what recommendations to make to parents in terms of keeping their child out of the childcare setting. Um, And then lastly, of course, this document is made for childcare providers, offering them some concrete guidance about how to handle COVID-19 in the childcare setting, and then also what mitigation strategies that they should put in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in their setting. So it's definitely for several different groups and hopefully they all find it helpful in some way. Uh, That's excellent, very, very comprehensive. Just to be clear, uh, these are considered the minimum requirements for childcare programs. They can always do more, is that correct, Pam? Yes, absolutely. You know, a couple things to keep in mind. One is that we respect and understand that, you know, childcare, it's a private business and you get to make business decisions. And childcare providers take very seriously responsibility during this crisis of making sure everyone is safe. We're putting out the requirements you have to do. And then if you want to do more to ensure the safety of your families and children, you absolutely get to do that. What I love about the document is it's set up to show what's required and what's recommended. So first it lists under many, many categories what you absolutely are required to do. And then it gives you other recommendations if you want to do more. So I think that's going to be very helpful to providers. You know, if you follow us on social media, uh, DECAL is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and many others. You've seen a lot of the photos of our programs, literally meeting families at the door, walking them back to the classroom, following this guidance. 
Um, and it's reflected in what we see in childcare programs today. And it looks like the drop-off and arrival guidance really starts at home, where families need to be alert to symptoms. If their children are sick, they need to stay home. Ebony, is, is that right? Yes, that is correct. So COVID-19 um, definitely starts at home. So we really want parents to screen their child before dropping them off at childcare. Um, so the document has a really nice screening tool that child care providers can give to their parents that will walk parents through which symptoms to look for um, at the beginning of the day before they drop them off. Um, and so that's just a really nice tool that child care providers can use. Um, and also just addressing um, the part about the same parent dropping off the child every single day. That's so that we can minimize exposures. So it's just best if the same parent drops off the child every day. However, we do understand that this might not be feasible every single day, but to just have some consistency with who drops the um, child off. And then also just avoiding having grandparents drop off children just because they are in a high risk category for COVID-19. So we definitely wouldn't want them to be unnecessarily exposed at the child care setting. I know the guidance talks a lot about not mixing groups of children and social distancing where possible. Why is that important, Pam? In all of our efforts to make sure we're doing the right thing, the biggest thing, like Ebony just mentioned, is reducing exposure. You want to make sure that you know you are doing everything you can to limit the number of people that children come in contact with. So the most important thing to keep in mind is to keep a classroom of children together at all times and not mix those classrooms. So if I'm in a three-year-old class, I should stay with that three-year-old class, that group and those teachers as much as possible all day. You know, we're transitioning to another space. We need to make sure that we're staying away from another group who may be transitioning at the same time. What it doesn't mean is that if you have little bitty children, two-year-olds, one-year-olds, that you are trying to keep them six feet apart. That is impossible. And we can't care for children from six feet away. Once you're in that classroom with that group, your peers, your teachers, it should feel like normal child care. You know, we can't sacrifice what children need for their care every day. Um, it, it just, you know, it, it, it's gone on too long for that. We need to make sure that kids are having great experiences, experiences, you know, loving, nurturing environments where um, people are taking good care of them. So again, I think it's, it's an interesting distinction in childcare that we want to keep groups separated and we wanna make sure that we're not exposing children to too many people. But once you're with your group that you see every day, we want it to feel like a regular day. Along those same lines of not mixing children and limiting exposure, uh, is that why the in-person field trips are still prohibited? And how does this limit transportation? Right. So, I mean, again, if we're trying to limit exposure, it doesn't make sense to take children to new places where they will run into children from other facilities and other adults. So transportation is limited at this time to those programs who transport children to their home. So you can transport a child to their home and to the school from their home. And then if it's a school-ager who's having in-person instruction, you can transport to their elementary school and back to the child care center. But that's all, we're limiting transportation to those three places at this time. 
So I definitely agree. The playground is also one of my favorite places. Um, <laughs> but we want to keep children and staff protected while on the playground setting. So in terms of playgrounds, we really want to make sure that we are staggering the groups that are allowed on each playground at each time and also making sure that um, the kids are kept completely separate. When it comes to cleaning and hygiene of the playground equipment, there is no additional cleaning that needs to be done of the actual playground equipment. And so when we say playground equipment, I'm talking more about the slides and the monkey bars and things like that. There are no additional cleaning um, requirements in place. However, when we talk about specific playground toys that might be used or balls or other toys that children use on the playground setting, um, you want to designate specific bins for used toys so that as they're coming off the playground, they can put those toys in a very specific bin so that those toys can be cleaned and disinfected properly. And the really nice thing about this is you can really involve the um, children in this. So you can designate a kind of dirty bin as a square or a circle and tell the children to put um, the toys that they've used on the playground in the bin designated with a square. Um, and then also you want to keep clean toys separate in a separate bin. Um, and then also you want to really focus on making sure that um, if there's any additional things other than toys that were used on the playground, that when those things come inside the building, you want to immediately clean and disinfect them. Also, you want to ensure um, staff and children wash their hands immediately after outdoor play, which is actually a decal requirement. Well, we've said from the beginning that child care knows how to do this. They know how to th keep things clean and sanitized, um, really because our licensing rules require hygiene, sanitizing, and disinfection. But how does COVID-19 increase attention to those types of processes, Pam? First, let me just say that was so exciting to me to hear Ebony um, cite a decal rule. It's wonderful when other people know our rules. It makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, our licensing rules are set up to keep children healthy. You know, children are messy and um, little children put things in their mouths always before COVID, you know, so we forever have had really strong rules in place around keeping um, things sanitized, disinfecting things, keeping things clean for children. Again, this has intensified during COVID because we would always, always clean anything a child would come in contact with. But now we're also cleaning things like um, light switch plates and um, anything, an adult or a child, you know, the door handles. It's just everything we've always done, but more uh, just to make sure that all surfaces that anyone comes in contact with are clean, just kind of taking it to the next level, just to make sure that um, that we're keeping the kids as safe as possible. You know, it has to do with people doing health screenings at the door, wearing using PPE, all those things. So the things we've always done, plus more, anything that we can do, anything that CDC is recommending, anything that DPH is recommending to ensure the safety of our families. All right, so I confess to the playground as being a favorite spot. My second favorite thing about childcare are the meals. So I want to talk about that for a second. We're still recommending 
eating in classrooms versus a cafeteria or a common dining area. Pam, talk about that. Again, we're trying to make sure that children stay within their own group and they don't mingle with other classrooms. And typically, if a child care program has a cafeteria, several classrooms or at least two classrooms are in there at the same time. So this is, again, just in an effort to limit exposure. We want children to eat in their classrooms. We're also recommending that um, for right now, we um, don't participate in family-style dining, which you know we, we really hate to do because that's a very good practice. It's a wonderful practice for children, for us to do family-style dining. It feels less institutional. They learn skills that way. But what we know is that when children serve themselves, they're not really that good at it. I mean, that's why they're doing it. They're learning. And so when we're hyper-vigilant about hygiene right now, it's better if their plates are served by a teacher. And to just add to that, another really important time um, in the child care setting that goes along with meals is snack time, which I personally enjoy. Um, it's just really also important that um, child care providers try to provide prepackaged snacks. That also is just um, kind of what Pam mentioned is not providing anything family style. So if the child care setting can provide prepackaged snacks, um, that would be preferred. Or if um, the child care setting could plate each child's snack. That's also a good piece of advice. Uh, I think we're all aware of all the discussions around face coverings, so let's cover that on the podcast. Uh, so, Ebony, let's define the need for a cloth face covering. Is it strongly me- recommended and for whom? So, um, face coverings or cloth face coverings are not required in the childcare setting. However, it is strongly recommended for a few individuals. Um, so, first, I'm going to talk about who we should never place cloth face coverings on. So um, children under the age of two or anyone who has trouble breathing or is unconscious, um, incapacitated, or otherwise unable to remove the cloth face covering, or anyone who cannot tolerate a cloth face covering due to developmental, medical, or behavioral health needs should never wear a cloth face covering or a cloth face covering should never be placed on them. Um, In terms of highly recommended, there are a few groups that we highly recommend a cloth face covering for, and those are any worker or staff in the child care setting. And this is to just really help protect you if you do come into contact with a um, COVID-19 case. Also, if a child is ill and say for some reason a staff member doesn't have on a cloth face covering, Um, At that point, you definitely want to put a cloth face covering on um, if you're working with an ill child. So, Ebony, walk us through the process when we have a confirmed case of COVID in a child care program. Who do we call? Uh, Do programs need to have an isolated area of the building for symptomatic individuals? I think there's a lot of concern and, and obviously questions around that. The day comes, we've got a confirmed case. What's your best advice? This is one of the sections that I'm very, very proud about in the document. Um, We worked really hard on this particular section to make sure that child care providers had all of the information they needed and that child care providers could feel empowered to make those first steps um, before contacting public health. So one of the very first things you want to do if you are notified of a COVID-19 case in the child care setting 
is if that child or staff member is currently at the child care facility, you want to immediately send them home. You want to put them in an area that's separate from everyone else. Of course, if, if it's a child, you want to make sure that they are consistently monitored. You never want to leave a child in a space by themselves, but make sure that they're monitored, but you want to immediately isolate them um, away from everyone else until the parents can come pick them up. The next thing that you want to do is you want to identify any close contacts. And so in the childcare setting, we want to identify anyone that was in that specific child's cohort. So anybody that's in the same classroom specifically needs to be considered a close contact. Also, you want to identify outside of the classroom anyone that may have been considered a close contact. So that includes anybody, including staff, that was less than six feet away from the case for 15 minutes or more. So those are the two groups that you really want to identify. And you want to identify them, and then you also want to contact their parents and make them aware of the Department of Public Health's um, quarantine recommendations. And the recommendation is, if a person is identified as a close contact, they need to remain at home for 14 days. And one of the things that I want to address is that a person cannot test out of quarantine. So if you identify someone as a close contact and then they are sent home, if they are tested during that 14-day quarantine period and they get a negative test result, they still need to remain at home for the entire 14-day period. So then the next steps you want to do after you've um, isolated or sent home the case, and then you've identified all the close contacts, the next thing you want to do is you want to clean and disinfect um, all areas where the case may have been. And so the document walks through all the appropriate steps to clean and disinfect those areas. The nice thing about this document is that it provides you with how to report to public health. So we really wanted to empower child care providers with this document to take those first initial steps. And once you take those first initial steps of isolating the case, recommending quarantine for those contacts and cleaning and disinfecting, please, please, please report the case and any identified contacts to public health. And the nice thing is in the um, guidance document, we provide you with a form to report the actual case to public health, as well as some additional forms to report all identified contacts to public health. Also, we provide you with a nice guidance document to determine when the case was infectious and what you're looking for in terms of close contacts. So a person is considered infectious two days prior to the onset of symptoms or if they don't have any symptoms and they're just have, they just have a positive laboratory test, you want to use two days before the positive lab test. So the guidance nicely walks you through um, when the person was infectious and then how to identify contacts based on that. After you report, you can continue on with um, normal everyday procedures. And one of the things I want to address, because we've heard this a lot from child care providers, is that 
it is not necessary to shut down your entire childcare facility. If you can enact these steps that I just mentioned in the steps in the child care guidance, there's no need to shut down your child care um, facility. There may be a need to temporarily close the classroom that the case was in while you work to identify those contacts, but you only need to temporarily close part of the facility or the classroom while you clean, disinfect, and identify those contacts. Once those appropriate steps are taken, it's okay to proceed with normal procedures. You know, that's good to know because I think we're seeing cases now where uh, public schools identify cases and, and they are closing down. And I know in the early days, Commissioner, uh, it was pretty standard for a child care program to just close the entire facility down. Right. But it's good to know that's not uh, necessary in all cases. I think that will um, mm. be a relief to child care providers and to parents as they are struggling to find child care while they go to work. Right. Ebony, you mentioned the forms, though, and I just wanted to, and obviously there are forms for reporting, um, which will be so helpful for child care to do that um, on a routine basis. Um, but how do they get those to, and who do they send them to? I know that's a very technical question, but and it will be in the guidance, but if you could just answer that for me. How do, who do they send them to, and, and in what format do they send them? Yes, so um, the forms should be sent to your district health department. And so when you receive the guidance, you will also receive information on your local district um, health department, the point of contact. Um, You can fax or email it to them. Um, It's just based on whichever method they prefer. Yeah, so fax or email, we're going to give you all of that information to make the reporting process as smooth as possible for child care providers. All right, so 27 pages. It's a bestseller coming to you uh, and very soon. Pam, when can we expect uh, to receive this information? How will it be distributed? It will be sent out to providers uh, this week. We're very excited. It's, you know, it's complete. It's uh, back in DPH's hand. they, hands. They were going to make it pretty so that the 27 pages are so riveting and um, enjoyable to look at. But again, it is a large document, but but it's worth it because what this does, and I just love hearing Ebony talk about it, is that it means that the provider can start action immediately if, if this happens to them. If a COVID case comes to your program, you know what to do. You're not waiting for answers. You're not waiting for a response from anybody. Like she said, it empowers a program to take care of business and to move forward. So everyone should have it this week, and uh, we can't wait uh, to hear responses. And um, it's important to know, too, that this will be updated on a regular basis because one thing we know about COVID and the guidance is that we're learning all the time. And the more we learn, uh, things things may change. And so we may yeah, keep updating you on this. So you know, stay in contact with us. Check your email to make sure that you're getting the most up-to-date information possible. And Ebony had mentioned, you know, reporting to DPH. DECAL wants you to report to us as well, COVID cases. Um, every child care provider knows their child care consultant. And so when you have a case of COVID, um, please let us know. It is so true that we are learning day by day. You go back to the very first podcast we did and even some of the early webinars, and we were worried this might last for a few weeks. And here we are five, six months later. So uh, 
incredible. Yeah, Rich, when you when you asked Ebony about had her job changed since March, I was thinking, I think it's still March. It feels the same. <laughs> I know it really does. <laughs> Time stands still. Uh, yes. Ebony, one other question for you before we go, and and that is with your background in immunizations, is the DPH. Um, guidance or encouragement to families. I know I've heard this for adults, but for uh, parents of young children, um, should they feel safe in maintaining all of those checkups, you know, with their pediatrician, having immunizations, whatever else they may need at their doctor's office? Uh, your advice is to to maintain and I guess keep up with those. Um, yes. So that would be my advice is to maintain um children's vaccination schedules as best as possible. Um, you know, CDC has provided a lot of guidance to healthcare providers to administer or to continue administering those vaccines in a timely fashion. And so some of that guidance um, informs healthcare providers to maybe offer clinic hours that are specific just for um, vaccination. So that way you're not having um, children who might possibly be ill coming in with children who are just seeking vaccinations. So that's definitely something parents want to talk to their um, healthcare provider about is whether or not they have those specific hours for vaccinations. And if not, maybe a, establishing a time for the parent to bring in the child. So I definitely always recommend keeping up to date with your children's vaccinations, um, especially during this unique time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We want to thank Ebony and uh, everyone at DPH, as well as our own decal team in Child Care Services. A lot of folks have put uh, a uh, large amount of time and preparation and hard work into this, and uh, we're just um, encouraged to be able to offer this to you. 27 pages of uh, new guidance, some of it building on what we've been doing all along, some of it um, just more focused on childcare in particular, and it's coming your way uh, very soon. Let me give you two websites um, that you need to be familiar with. First and foremost, if you're not following the Department of Public Health website, you're missing out on some great information, and it's a deep dive into a lot of information, and that is dph.georgia.gov, and they've got tons of COVID information there along with daily updates um, if you are not following that, it's uh, good advice to, to follow. And our own website, decal.ga.gov. Remember, we have a COVID-19 page dedicated to all of our information, and everything is cataloged there. Starting from March going forward, uh, you can go back and look at past uh, podcasts. Uh, you can look at webinars, uh, documentation. Our FAQs are updated uh, on a regular basis. So decal.ga.gov. And uh, Pam and Ebony, thanks so much for joining us today. And again, thanks for all the hard work. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here's an important reminder for parents and providers. Decal is now offering families the ability to search for child care for school-age children enrolled in distance learning. And Commissioner, with many parents returning to work Families are not always able to stay at home and assist their children with virtual instruction. So this is a great resource. It is a great resource, and we realize that um, parents may need care during the day while their children are engaged in distance learning or virtual instruction. And uh, we recommend that they search for that on qualityrated.org. 
Um, that is our typical search feature, but we've added um, a new element for searching where programs have gone in and indicated if they're offering that full day school age virtual learning support. So parents can even more easily find uh, that type of care that's convenient to either their home or uh, their work or en route to or from. And they can also call and talk to a child care specialist if they need some more help at one eight seven seven all ga kids And I know you also want to encourage providers on the other side to update their information and let us know if they're offering this uh, service. Right. Providers, uh, we are asking providers to update that in their Koala account, just like they've um, updated whether they are open or closed and the time frame for any temporary closure and the age ranges that they serve. We've added an additional search function so if they could indicate uh, if they are offering that school age service, that will be helpful as parents search for that. Right. So just go into your Koala portal and that's only for licensed child care providers Um, update that information and that way we can let everyone know uh, that it's available where you are. And if you're doing the search at qualityrated.org, just know that you are looking for a box, check the box that says full-time care for school-age children. You can also search by zip code and distance from your home or office. And again, as the commissioner said, you can get live assistance during the day at one eight seven seven all ga kids Again, it's all at qualityrated.org. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, I'm Heather Melillo, and I work as a pre-K teacher at West End Elementary here in Rome. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, If my school goes completely virtual, do you have any suggestions on how to make it easier on families to participate because we do not have one-to-one technology to send home with our kiddos? Thank you so much for all you do. Heather, thank you for your question and uh, thank you for what you do as a Georgia pre-K teacher. We know all of Georgia pre-K teachers are working so hard uh, under these interesting circumstances to provide the best possible pre-K experience this year. Um, As far as online access goes, we know it is definitely at a premium this year since families with multiple children are definitely juggling uh, devices and Wi-Fi at their houses and even working from home uh, with with parents and multiple children. But for pre-K students specifically, remember DECAL is only recommending um, one and a half hours of virtual instruction per day, which doesn't have to be done all at one time. It can definitely be broken down into smaller sections. Uh, The majority of the learning for pre-K should really be through those hands-on activities uh, that should be planned and provided for the family to do without the use of the device. And really, most of the virtual instruction could be conducted by using a smartphone. We know most parents have some type of smartphone or a tablet since the pre-K students are just watching and interacting. They're not really performing tasks that require a keyboard. So hopefully that will free up computers uh, for older students or even for parents to use. Of course, you know, there are probably other options and I encourage you to talk to your pre-K specialist because she or he will be able to help you with um, some other ideas around that. And thank you for what you do and I hope you have a great year. Absolutely. Heather is a finalist, by the way, for the 2020-2021 Georgia Pre-K Teacher of the Year. So good luck to her. And Commissioner, we have a little bonus question for you this time around while we are at the water cooler. And uh, with Pre-K 
starting up uh, for this school year, we thought, why not get a question from a pre-K student? So let's listen to this. Hi, my name is Nina, and I'm in pre-K. And I have a question for you, Commissioner Jacob. What's your favorite book? Well, hi, Hannah, and thank you so much for your question. I hope that you're having a great start to your pre-K year. Um, You know, I have a lot of favorite books, um, but I will just stick with one of my children's favorites, uh, which was Goodnight Moon. We read that um, almost every night uh, when they were about your age and even before, and um, I probably still haven't memorized because we read it so often. Um, But thank you for your question, and I hope you continue to read uh, with your family and your teachers, and even if you have siblings um, every day, and I hope you have a great school year. And it's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question. According to the new COVID-19 guidance for childcare programs, how should families respond if their children are showing symptoms before leaving home? According to the new COVID-19 guidance for child care programs, how should families respond if their children are showing symptoms before leaving home? Send your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. We take all the correct answers, draw a name, and award that person with a very nice prize. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.